the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab number 211 for Monday, July 13th, 2009. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Cab. I'm Dave Hamilton here in Durham, New Hampshire. I am John Braun in a undisclosed location. I'm sorry. I was inspired by the recent Dick Cheney news. I'm sorry. No more politics. Let's move on. Dave, Dave, you had a, a pretty, uh, if, if you don't mind my prying, but you had a pretty, pretty exciting last several days. I, I think you, you had, uh, I, I just want to know a, a little yeah. bit and then we'll move on. But sure. I think you had some aviation adventures and then I a, did. you know, heartwarming reunion adventure, which actually I'm going to be doing one of those uh, in, in a couple of months too. But, but you were flying, dude. Yeah, so I did. I I had a trip down to Connecticut for my uh, high school reunion, my twentieth. For those of you that wanted bother to do all the math, uh, and it was it was actually good because my high school had undergone a pretty ser- serious renovation, but uh, to the tune of about seventy million bucks uh, a couple of years back. Actually, probably about ten years back, and I had not been in there since the day I graduated. I don't think, and so we did a tour of the school before. Um, before the reunion. So that, that was cool. And you know what? It was great getting to see, uh, you know, a lot of old, old friends and, uh, and some familiar faces and, and all that good stuff. All right. so, I have to ask, did yeah. you tour the computer room or rooms? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, and there were, there were Max in the art department and Dell's in the business uh, department. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. yeah. Typical. Yeah. You know, okay. But, yeah. uh, but I, I went down a little bit earlier. My brother, for Father's Day, you know, my brother and I are both uh, aviation enthusiasts, I'll say. I, I would imagine at some point we both will uh, will head down the path of getting our private pilot's licenses. But cool. uh, So you flew from New Hampshire? No, 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 no. No. So I drove for Father's Day. My my brother received what they call a discovery flight um, from his family. And essentially what it is, is it's. You get it, you know, you buy an hour's worth of time in a plane with an instructor. They put you in the left seat, in the pilot seat, and up you go. And they take off and land the plane typically. I've done a couple of these, and sometimes they'll let you take off, and one of them even let me land it, um, sort of, you know. So do uh, you share controls potentially, or is well, it like a driving, you know, a, a, a driving instructor? That Well, every plane, every small plane, and I think even large planes, have two two sets of controls in, in you know, both the Anyone in, in either of the two front seats can fly the plane entirely. Okay. There's two sets of rudder pedals and two yokes, right? And one throttle, but that's in, in the middle, and so it's no problem. Um, so, uh, you know, my brother had gotten this gift, and he had tried to schedule it a couple of weeks ago, but weather was terrible and all that. So uh, he told me, oh, yeah, I'm doing it Saturday. And I said, well, yeah, I'm going to come down on Saturday anyway. I said, are you doing it a two-seater or a four-seater? And he said, a four. And I said, mind if I ride in the back? And he said, oh, no problem. So, uh, so up we went the weather was beautiful. We had this salty old instructor named Lloyd. If there's anyone on the planet that I would want to teach me to fly, it would be this guy. He was, you know, no, no bones about it. He just wanted to, he wanted to show people how to fly, do it safely and all that. He was, you know, uh, would be a good instructor, but not buried in the minutia. It was, you know, just fly the stupid plane. And so we had a blast. The weather was beautiful. 
And uh, I even took some videos. I took some pictures and some videos with the yeah. iPhone, including one of of Lloyd landing the plane. Danbury is a uh, a tower controlled airport, so there there was and there was a lot of traffic coming. So Lloyd basically took the controls and and uh, set her down. But he did a great landing. He uh, you know he, he but I don't know maybe five feet off the runway the stall warning went, which is just about oh, perfect. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was great. So, so this was a, a Cessna. Mm hmm. The Cessna okay. one seventy two SP, I believe it was a nineteen ninety eight plane. It was it was a gorgeous plane. I'd never been in a Cessna this nice before. Okay, yeah. I've once flown in a you know two passenger plane. Okay, from, from what I recall, this was to Block Island. We, yep. we did lunch one day. One of our uh, coworkers who was who was leaving, we we flew out of Sikorsky and we you know went to sure. Block Island for lunch. But um. I recall they get loud because you don't have the conveniences of like a big metal tube to sit inside. So like, yeah, you're in you a almost, tube, but it's 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 very aluminum and doesn't have any yeah. insulation. So yeah, or and you have a maybe a you know a little canopy above you, and that's pretty much it between you and and the big scary <laughs> world, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, in in the Cessna anyway, we all wore headsets, and that's how we communicated right. with each other, and and it was totally fine. But you know, you listen to those iPhone videos, and it's like, oh yeah, it was pretty loud in the plane. So. Yeah, yeah, that was fun. So anyway, so um, yeah. so yeah, not to pry, but but I thought it was cool because it it, it encompasses some really geeky things. I think flight. It, and, I used uh, my I used my iPhone, so you know I yeah. used to live in New Fairfield, Connecticut, and we were we were basically flying around you know New Fairfield, Sherman, Danbury area, kind of right. going near Candlewood Lake because the scenery was great. And as we uh, as he positioned himself, they wanted him on a four mile approach coming in to. Uh, to runway 17 there and as we started heading toward where he wanted to be for that i'm like well, wait a minute i know where i am here my old house is gosh i think it's right over there so i pulled up on the iphone the google satellite map and uh <laughs> it, you know had it gps me and it was like okay now i know where i am and then i put my house you know my old address in there on hillside drive in new fairfield there and uh and, you know, saw a picture of what it looks like now. And it, it had changed because they put a retirement community in right at the beginning of my street. And uh, so I was like, oh, OK, I know where it is. And then sure, we flew almost right over my uh, my old house, which was, you know, it was pretty cool. So it was cool. a, it was a fun day. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So waxing a bit historic, but that road there. So, yeah, basically you take Route 7 and at some point. Yeah, going to the Danbury Mall, you can take the road where they have a sign saying "Warning: Runway Approach Zone." And that's today, right. That's a sign oh, yeah. for awesome. It's a fun we airport. We used to do that. Yeah. We used to. We used to even as kids. You may have done this, but we used to park near the Danbury Airport and watch the planes land. It was is, just is it a, very is it cool. a prerequisite that you have to be a kid to want to do that? Because I still do that now. No. <laughs> okay. Good. <laughs> so okay, enough. But this is but this is not geek. this is not Jack Hodgson's uh, uncontrolled airspace podcast. But if you're into that, you should listen to uncontrolled airspace because it's oh, an awesome podcast. He, oh, it's awesome. That's what he does. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's one of the tweet. one of the things Jack does. Yeah. Yeah. So nice. All right. Uh, but moving on to Mac stuff. So we have we've got some questions and tips that we're going to go through. And then uh, we're going to we're going to revisit Express Card because we've got a lot of stuff to talk about. And I've even had a change of heart on uh, on Express Card a little bit. And then, yes, we are going to break our rule. And for three shows in a row, we're going to include the same topic. And it is going to be SSD because there's man this. Well, we got to settle a beat down. <laughs> there, there, we we have to settle a little uh, unintentional, but yes. maybe well-deserved beat down. So, <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll save that to the end. Just yeah. to keep you hooked. So that's right. Dave, go. Let's go with. Uh, OK, Gray. so Gray writes, 
Uh, let's see. Oh, ooh, ooh, I'm reading my response. So, Gray says, I have two Intel iMacs, both running OS 10.5.7, sharing an internet connection over Wi-Fi using a single band time capsule. I also use an Airport Express to extend the network. Everything works fine for the most part, including printer sharing using an HP all-in-one on the Wi-Fi and sharing content on the Apple TV on the network. The problem occurs when I try to connect with my wife's iMac through the Finder, i.e. file sharing. Although file sharing is enabled in the settings on both computers, when I select my wife's computer from the shared devices column, there is a connecting connection failed message in the Finder window. Clicking on the Connect As button brings up a password dialog impervious to any password associated with my user account or mobile me account. Oddly enough, my wife's computer connects to mine as her mobile me account name no problem. Do I have some keychain problem? I dug into the Apple support site and came to a place where the suggestion was to reinstall Leopard. That takes me back to my Windows days. Ooh. Please say it ain't so. Okay, so the, the good news is is uh, I had I think we had prepped this one for the last show and didn't get to it. Uh, so we have the answer because Gray, we sent an, I sent an email off to Gray with a bunch of ideas and, and one of them did it. But let, let's kind of talk through this uh, a, a little bit that, you know, my my initial feeling was the fact that it brings up the username and password dialogue is good. It means that the two computers are, are connecting. There doesn't appear to be any firewalls in the way. It, you know, there's there's obvious communication uh, happening. And of course, that works the other way, too, if, if you're able to get connected. Right. So. So that, you know, that was important. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, the next thing I, I we'd asked him to do was to look in system preferences sharing. And obviously he says he has file sharing enabled, uh, but make sure the users have some permissions. Right. Because mm-hmm. without, you know, if, maybe if it's set to, you know, with no read, no write, uh, it won't let you log in. Maybe maybe something along those lines. And then finally, uh, on his wife's machine, we recommended that he go into system preferences and accounts and change the password. And the reason, John, that I suggested this is we know that the accounts work when he logs in in the user interface. You know, mm-hmm. when you're logging into the machine or you have to authenticate to, you know, install something that requires administrator password or what have you. But Apple File Protocol, from what I understand, runs as a Unix service. And so that's going to go ahead and look at the Unix passwords on the machine. Now, I might be wrong about this, but uh, but that was sort of my my thought process was, that's well, there's, yeah, there's there's one password, but I think it's stored in two different places and they're supposed to be in sync. But, mm, uh, you know, it's possible it could get out of sync for, I, for whatever reason. I'm with you is that, you know, a lot of times these things get cached and if the mechanism to indicate that it's bad or expired or needs refreshing is broken. So I think that's what happened here. And, and it is. We, we heard back from Gray uh, and, and he said, yep, changing the password uh, certainly fixed it. And I think he could have even changed it to what it was as long as it forced, as you said, John, that refresh and, and kind of flushing everything out and rewriting all of those files were whatever it's reading. And I think it's the, the Unix password, you know, Etsy password or shadow password or whatever it is. I, I, I can't remember how OS 10 does it because every flavor of Unix, you know, has its own magic little way, but, but that did it. So if you're ever having those problems, you know, the, the other thing I told them to try was to go into system preferences and sharing and enable what's called remote login. And then you'd have to go into the terminal 
and the instructions are on the machine in which you enable it. But you go to the terminal on another machine and you use the SSH command to connect uh, across the network that way. That would also test the Unix password uh, availability there. You know, it gets file sharing out of the way and just tries a, a direct connection. So, but it did work uh, according to Gray. So, now did I don't know if I missed this, but did you get the sense that these were all admin accounts or user and admin or a mix or what? Because I, I he did not say. My assumption was that all the accounts were administrator enabled. Okay. Yeah. All right. Likewise, because you know, I just got to take a little tangent. Yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. But every machine that I have set up, either at work or home, I'm admin. I'm the boss. I I really don't like on OS 10 to set up guest accounts or user accounts. Um, I trust. First off, I you know it's people I work with, and I trust that they're not going to destroy everything. So. Pretty much, even if we have a machine that has multiple users, I make them admins because the little quirks that come in there with Unix permissions, as well intentioned as they are, Dave. Yeah. With you know user and group and 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 different permissions. I don't know. It's I feel kind of filthy because I'm I'm also have a security background, and to say you should throw all that away for for the sake of ease of use, almost is like sacrilege. And and maybe some people will wag their finger or shake their fist, but. I just thought I'd comment on that. I, I don't know your feelings if you have anything. Uh, so I, I'm confused. You you do just use an admin account as your main account, or you you set up all a- all the machines that I use. I will set up myself as well as others if they want accounts as admin. So I'm a total okay. And again, this is a finger or or fist shaking move to make everybody on your machine admin. Oh yeah. But if you trust the people. Right. So, so, so I'd say if you're in an enterprise environment, maybe that's not a good move. I mean, I work, and 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 the thing is, I work um, in an R and D group, and we typically have small work groups of people that I'm not letting the entire company get to my machine. It's a small, trusted group of people. In which case, I'm comfortable giving them admin, assuming they're not going to do something totally boneheaded. Right. <laughs> so so the one place where I don't do, and this is a good tangent, the, the one place where I don't do that is on the iMac that we have in the house that everybody uses. Uh, my wife including and I, the including the kids, right. So for the kids' accounts, I do not give them admin rights. Now, I don't use parental controls, uh, you know, the, the built-in parental controls for this. And there's, you know, I've certainly thought about it, um, but I know what it's like. And we had them on for a little while. It gets in the way. It starts filtering things that, that I, you know, that I don't need it filtering or don't care to have it filtering. And frankly, from my own background, I know that as soon as I know there's a wall in my way, now my priority <laughs> is to circumvent that wall, right? So if I want to teach my kids uh, or give my kids an opportunity to hone those skills, then maybe I'll turn on parental controls. But, <laughs> it, you know, but really, I, you know, we're we're always around when the kids are on the computer. And I'd like to think we have a pretty good rapport with our children. So the parental controls thing, we have not found a need for it yet. That may change. You know, we always said we wouldn't be the type of parents that put our kid well, on, on a leash. And, you know, then we had our son. And when he was young, he, you know, he walked it. <laughs> he walked before he would talk to us. Right. He was walking at like eight months old. So it's like, <laughs> all right, get the kid on a leash. Let's go. You know, so I, I'm happy to revisit that and, and, and perfectly happy to, yes. to have a nice meal of crow. But uh, but. 
for the children, I do leave their account as non-admin. And the reason is because it not for what they would try to do that they know they're trying to do, but, but what they don't know. And if, you know, if they're trying to do something and it comes up and ask them for a password, they're just going to type in their password because they know their mm-hmm. password. Right. And I don't want them to have the ability to to, you know, wreak havoc on the machine at this stage, though, I, though, I do also appreciate, again, based on my you know experience that having the ability to wreak havoc and wreaking that havoc is a great way to learn how to get out of it, you know, and how to fix it. And- so. And, you know, it sounds like a great chance or, or a great opportunity for a kid's machine. It, Yeah, it, it is. <laughs> I, yeah. Yeah. You lock it down a bit and it's like if it gets nuked. It doesn't matter. Anyways, we yeah. are deviating. The, the, That's all right. I like this good discussion tangent. because yeah. no, because I've hung out with you and I've, I've seen the kids and the kids are are at least in front of me well disciplined. Yeah. You know, <laughs> no, but uh, kids. But again, but, yeah. Yeah, but they're they're not going crazy. Nah. No, uh, so it's yeah. We'll uh, we'll do the uh, you know childcare. Yes, podcast. yes, that's right. Again, this is neither the aviation podcast nor the childcare podcast. So, uh, okay, Michael writes. My name is Michael. I'm a web designer from beautiful town of Harlem, and I'm sure I'm pronouncing that wrong because it's not in New York. It's near Amsterdam in the Netherlands. Oh, my. I very much like to listen to your show on my way to work. Okay. I am fortunate enough to own a brand new MacBook Pro, the 13-inch model that was launched at WWDC. Having worked with the machine for some time now, I noticed something different from the 13-inch MacBook I had before. When I am on battery power and it goes down to about 5% battery left, the OS will give the warning that the machine is about to go to sleep. When I keep working, the screen will, screen will go black and the machine will turn off. Now, on my older machine, I was used to seeing the blinking light come on. I would connect to power, press a key, and I would be back in business immediately. On the new machine, I really have to power it back up using the power key. It will then show a grayed out desktop with bars filling up from left to right, and then it will be back where I was. I know it is using deep sleep now instead of the regular sleep I was used to before. It's not really problematic, but I like the quick, regular sleep. Do you know if I can get it back that way or is the hardware different in some way so you can only do deep sleep? Okay, Uh, so let's talk about what's happening first, John, and and then uh, I think you've got some ideas for for perhaps how to to do this. So when you see that, you know, when you try to wake your computer up and it, it doesn't wake up your laptop up and it doesn't wake up and you hit the power button and instead of seeing the normal boot process, you see sort of a like he said a a washed out you know gray black and white version of whatever your desktop was the moment the computer went to sleep and then this little progress bar that slowly crawls across the bottom of the screen and then once it gets to the the end everything comes to color and your mouse is alive and your keyboard's alive and your computer is exactly back to where it was what that is is it's coming out of hibernation it it has saved the contents of ram to a file which and that file is exactly as big as your RAM, uh, the amount of RAM you have. So if you've got four gigs of RAM, that's a four gig file. It's and safe. where is that file? Uh, I Pri- think private uh, slash var slash VM. It is in VM. Okay. Sleep image. Thank you. Thank you. Because I had a note for that. I, I wanted to blurt that out. Thank you. Go yeah. on. Yeah, no, it is. And <laughs> and here's the but thing. But it is because, and if you try to mess with it, then, then it gets even more interesting because I think when I try to mess with it, yeah, it's like, dude, <laughs> it's like file busy just right don't okay that's fine uh, no i think if i had pushed it 
I could look at that file because that probably has a lot of very interesting. And if you choose to um, now, is this? No, it's not. I'm sorry. It's not an encrypted VM. No, I think it's a different file. It may be, it, but it may be encrypted. I don't it know. Maybe if the you sleep know, image that's a good question. Encrypted. Yeah, we think alike. That's yeah. good. Because I know that there is a in a security control panel, I think. Right. System preference. Duh. Um, there is a secure um, swap file option. This, I think, is just the sleep file, which is like, here's RAM. I'm going to sleep. I'm sorry. You can't stop me. When I wake up, this is what I am going to read. And then we'll we'll take it from there. Right. So go on. Right. Yeah. OK. Well, yeah, that's right. So it, it saves this file out and then and then reads it back in. So that that's what happens in Hibernate. The beauty of that is it actually shuts the computer off once it saves this this sleep image file out. And so the computer is not using any battery time, uh, really, uh, when it's when it's asleep. But when you turn it back on, it's starting from scratch. So it has to refresh the contents of RAM by reading this file all the way back in. So uh, what uh, Michael wants is to avoid this. Now, uh, this is where it gets interesting. By default, the Mac will save out the contents of RAM every time it goes to sleep, but it won't necessarily turn the computer off until the battery gets very low. And I think that number is is below 20%. And at that point, it actually turns the computer off, uh, and then you have to go through this process. But... Anytime you put a laptop to sleep that is set to the default settings, you have to wait uh, for it to save this memory image out before it actually goes to sleep. And you'll, what you'll, what'll happen is you'll see uh, the, the light will remain, even though you've closed the lid or told it to sleep, the light will remain mm-hmm. solid for you know up to a minute or maybe even a little longer as it yes. saves this file out. And then it'll start going through the pulsing uh, thing that says, yes, I'm, I'm on, but I'm asleep. But there's some ways to change this behavior, right, John? There is. (laughs) Of course there is. So the way we like to change it, um, well, there's the hard way and the easy way. We are going to talk about the easy way. The easy way is smart sleep. Smart sleep is a utility that basically does what you could do from the command line or the terminal, but you don't want to do that. And it basically lets you change the behavior of the sleep or deep sleep function to say, all right, when you get to this point, of battery depletion, do this. And I think what it does is it defaults to if 5% or less of the battery is available, you're going to hibernate. Actually, I think, it's, I think it's 20%. Or is it 20? I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, okay. it is. Yep. I may have set it to 5. There you okay. go. Sure, sure. <laughs> okay. So anyway, so this utility, and, and I, I do believe the utility goes into detail about what you can do on the command line. This is arcane command line terminal stuff that you could set as well. But I think to avoid this behavior, which I think is what is being asked, don't set the limit to something so low that when the machine is shot, it's shot and it's going to hibernate and you won't wake up unless you have a new battery. Because I've done this actually when I've traveled, I will set it at 5% or below. And when the machine um, gives up pretty much on the, tail end of when I'm watching a DVD, which on on the MacBook I have is about two something hours. Sometimes if I have a DVD that's three hours, the machine will shut down, orderly, save the file, 
I'm like, okay, I'm done. I take out my backup battery and I always have a backup battery. Put that back in. The machine starts up. I see the gray screen with the increasing bar. It restores the DVD session and I watch the rest of the movie. So ah, cool. So I think smart sleep is a good way to, because uh, uh, again, it sounds to me like uh, this behavior in, in this case is not desirable. Right. Yeah. Now, I think with smart sleep, certainly from the command line using it's it's the PM set command. Uh, and if you go to the command line or, you know, open up terminal and type PM set, uh, it will give you the uh, command line switches that you can use to both get what the settings are and also manipulate them. And you've got I think you've got three different uh, states if it's on battery, if it's on power or if it's on ups and and so you know your machine can can react in different ways but either from the command line and also i think from smart sleep you can set it to never hibernate and only sleep uh the problem is if you set it to you know only hibernate and then uh or only sleep rather and it gets down to you know two, yes. one or two percent it will sleep until the battery dies and then it will turn off you won't have an image Bye. back and yeah, it won't be happy when it comes back up. So, um, yeah, it'll be in a recovery, right. Build, right. Whatever state. Yeah. So, and that, you know, that can cause some grief. So th th this is why Apple did that. But it, you know, if you don't like it, you can certainly bypass it, but make sure you do it eyes wide open and, and aware of Though, what's going to I got to say is thinking about it as we move forward with bigger RAM capacities, because from what I've seen and looking in the private VAR VM file, that's as big as your RAM. That's right. So as we move forward, now we have, I, I believe the maximum for uh, laptop max is eight gigs. That's correct. Is that correct. On yeah. the 17. Yeah. And, so on, and on the, I think, and on the, the 13 and 15 now too, right? Really? Yeah. Are we all so. up to eight? I cool. think so. Yeah. So it takes a little time to write that out to disk. And it also takes up a lot of disk space. Yeah. You know, I mean, if you're <laughs> if you're someone like, say, me, who's, you know, still testing and living off of this, um, th this uh, SSD drive, you know, I I'm running on a much smaller drive than I had before. So that space means a lot. So I have disabled hibernation. And then once you disable hibernation, you can go into that folder and remove the sleep image file uh, and reclaim all that disk space. And of course, we're, this is this is the show of tangents to beat all tangents. But uh, <laughs> but, you know, the way I always wind up stumbling on that file is by using Omni Disk Sweeper, which is a to me an invaluable tool. What you what it does is it are they fr I it's free there. It was in the back of my head. Yeah, yes, they free. are now free and it go on. Yeah. So what you do is you, you launch this utility and tell it, yeah, go. And it goes and scours your hard drive and builds a, uh, a column layout, organizing everything by that which takes up the most space, starting with the root level of your hard drive. So it'll list applications, users, library system, etc. And you can see, okay, users is, you know, the, the most and, you know, it's taking up uh, 75 gigs or something. So you click on users and then it might show you that, you know, in your library folder, you've got uh, 10 gigs and in your uh, documents folder, you've got, you know, 40 gigs or something. So you click on library and then you see in there, oh, mail has, you know, nine of the 10 gigs. Okay. And so I dig into mail and you, you can very easily figure out where all this stuff is, including the stuff in private var VM and all that. If you know what it is, or even if you don't, 
it will happily let you select and delete files right from there. Of course, I wouldn't delete anything if I didn't know what it was, but you know, that's what time machine is for, I guess. So, but it, it's a very, very valuable program. I run it all the time. So cool. Yeah. Uh, where are we? We are at the point where I'm going to tell you about our first sponsor for the show, John Cool. circusponies.com with notebook and notebook of course is available with version 3.0. It's an electronic organizer application. It allows you to create notebooks that are, well, when you create them, they're empty and you can put in them whatever you want. You could create one notebook to store the entire contents of everything you want, or you could create multiple notebooks to, uh, you know, for different purposes or topics or, or whatever it is you want to do. The idea is you start with a hierarchical layout where you can just type and, you know, tab in and just like on a notebook, but you're typing. Then you can pull in graphics, PDFs, you can build in a, it's got a little scratch pad so you can go in and write things. You can OCR the contents of a PDF, you can mark up PDFs, everything that's in there is searchable and not just within one notebook, but you can search across all of your notebooks at once. So if you had tagged something with a keyword or you remember the date that you had put something in, any of that, you can search it and boom, it's going to find it for you across multiple notebooks. Uh, this is available at circusponies.com. Of course, free 30 day test drive, uh, which is great. And then 50 bucks, 49 95 us when, uh, when you're ready to purchase all available at circusponies.com. Are we ready to go? It's time to go on to Dan. I think, I think we should make sure we hit that. Right, John. Hit it. Hit it. Here we go. Hey guys, it's Dan from LA. Thanks so much for the great podcast. Always an awesome listen. Wanted to really quick touch on the power line adapter that you guys mentioned in your most recent podcast. Uh, Pete said several times in other podcasts, including this one, that the maximum number that you should be able to use is two. I've got a very special client that I've set up three at um, for various reasons that I'm not going to go into here. Um, these are devices that either have wireless turned off or have don't have wireless. So I know that they're not like bypassing the power line adapter and still jumping onto the wireless and that's how it's working. They are wired only and they are using power line adapters. I'm pretty sure they were Netgear brand, um, the, the faster, uh, and this is about six months ago that they were installed. So it was the faster ones, uh, six months ago, whatever speed that was. And, uh, I've not had any complaints about those devices connected via the power line adapters. So either I'm just lucky Pete's unlucky, or uh, maybe his wiring is bad, or maybe the uh, adapters he has in the buy are bad, or maybe the brand that he's got have issues. But just my experience, your mileage may vary. Uh, if, in fact, a listener is really, really wishing he could do that, I encourage them to try it. Buy them from Best Buy and return them if they don't work. That's my <laughs> advice. Have a great one, and keep up the great work. Thanks, Dan. And indeed, we had uh, several other listeners write in uh, with exactly that same advice and experience that you can use. You know, I think one guy said he had four, maybe even five of them running. So Mm -hmm. there is some intelligence in there. I guess each of them, you know, announces or broadcasts. However, it's broadcasting its packets. It's doing it with uh, some ID so that it's, you know, a virtual hub, I guess. Uh, Bridge? Yeah, sure. 
but it's a multi-point bridge, right? It's 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 sure. not just you know a bridge to to one place. So, yeah, very cool. We got to get some of these and test them out. I, I can see a lot of, you know, it perfect for not wanting to rip holes in your walls. This is a good yep. thing. Yeah. Well, I was at the. Uh, I got the card. I'll yeah. call the uh, the Belkin. Person. Yeah. Yeah, that, yeah. As you and I saw, I think there's a lot of demand because when you and I went to the web page for the product, it yep. was like sold out. I'm like, all right, either they pre-announced it right. or there's a mad rush on this product because gigabit in your house, dude, that's cool. Yeah. Otherwise, you'd have to get, yeah, either copper or fiber, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> yeah well, or, no, no I mean, you could do gigabit in your house with, with cat. 5e right yeah yeah 5e or 6 or yeah, right. whatever the heck it is yeah right. 5e no i think you're right 5e is the the minimum that's, that's what i'm running is 5e and i get 980 yep so cool do you, you know about iperf i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna because we're in the show no. of all tangents uh so iperf Spin it. is a great you know you set up a network and you want to test throughput on it now most of the time right. what you're going to do is tr- try to transfer a file right but the problem with transferring a file is you're reading it from a disk and writing it to a disk, you know, on one side or the other. Variables, and, man. It, right. And as we know, I, I don't have any disk drives that will go, a, you know, transfer data at a gigabit reading or writing, you know, at no, most. No, you don't have a fiber array. I don't Dave. have a fiber array. I apologize. I'm all right. Well, but I went, I, I found this little <laughs> utility. It's a Unix utility. Uh, yeah. You can you can uh, get it for Windows, Linux, and Mac uh, called iPerf, I-P-E-R-F. And what you do is you open up a terminal session on one machine and you you navigate to wherever you've installed iPerf and you type iPerf space dash S. And that puts it in server mode. And so it just sits there. And then you go to another machine and you say iPerf space dash C. And then you type in the IP address of the computer that's running as the server. And for 10 seconds, it blasts data as fast as it can from the server to the client. And uh, huh. and, and you get a report and it's like perfect. And you, you do, do that two or three times in a row. You get a good feel and you can tell it. I want to go 30 seconds. I want to do it this way. I want it to have packet sizes this big, et cetera, et cetera. But the deal is it's generating its own data and just sending it, not reading, not writing, just using the network connection. And um, and and it's a very handy troubleshooting uh, utility and and it's really the only way I've ever seen my network go at at full tilt with gigabit. I mean, there's, like I said, there's no other way. Nice. So yeah, highly recommend it. It's free, like uh, like most of the stuff that we uh, mm-hmm. we've come to rely on. As uh, as Abdullah wrote, this is a good little another good little tip. Oh yeah. Uh, regarding your listener, a Windows migrant asking about monitoring disk activity on a Mac, a little used pearl is that in the dock, you can have activity activity monitor display disk activity or any of its other features right there in the dock. All you have to do is click and hold on the activity monitor icon in the dock. The little submenu will appear. Scroll to the dock icon submenu of that menu and select show disk activity or any of the other choices. Disk activity will be promptly displayed in the dock icon. This is very handy, uh, especially if you run into a situation where menu meters or iStat menu can't or, or won't run. Um, activity monitor can be your friend. You have to have activity monitor running first. Yep. But, uh, but now, if you're too lazy to click on the dock, mm-hmm. you can go in the activity monitor menu, click on view and say dock icon. 
Ah. Same menu. Okay. Just a little backup if you're into the menu navigation sure. sort of thing. But that's cool. So this is the poor man's or, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, menu meters is free. So, I mean, but, you know, this is the, the, the man who the man or woman who doesn't have a network connection to go and download menu meters, right? I mean, And I would say the only downside with menu meters is that the menu space is kind of... Depending yeah. now, now, I don't know about uh, now. I have right now, Dave. My biggest screen at home, at least for the computer, <laughs> is um, a 19 inch. I have a 22 or 24 inch at work, and I've noticed that the Mac OS sometimes will truncate what's in the menu. Right. Oh, absolutely. If yeah, the the menus that start on the left, i.e., Apple, and then application file edit. Those take priority right. over the stuff that grows out of the right, all the little widgets and tools. And right. Apple. Now, Apple, some of them, it, uh, but, but, go but I'm going to say the Apple ones, well, you'll know if it's an Apple one, because if you hold down, I believe it's Apple, yeah. and you click on a menu, if it lets you mess with it, it's an Apple menu. No, I'm not sorry. true. You can do that with your menu meters ones, no, too. Sorry. No, no, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, what key? It's, 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 it's the command key. I'm sorry, it's option. Option lets you, uh, but there's one key with the Apple menu items that lets you mess with them more than normal. Really? Huh. All right. I'll have to uh, try that. Because, yeah, all I'm finding here is mm, that the command, the command key is, uh, is the one that lets you reorder them and, and you know, set how they appear, no, which, is, right. which is very handy. No, again, command, yeah, so command on Apple... Menu items lets you drag them out of the menu bar or move them about. Right. Unfortunately, it's not universal, which would be nice with some of the ones. You can't reorder menu meters if you hold down the command key and move them around? That is correct. Really? Because I think they're adhering to. But I can. Well, no, you can't. I just did. I'm moving my my menu meters things around. Apple or which key? The command key. We'll talk. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's working fine. Well, no, I'm I'm uh, menu meters. Let's see. No, I'm sorry. No, you're correct. Menu meters adheres, but no. So I'm clicking on Dropbox. Ah. Smart menu. Um, network monitor, which is part of what we all love. Um, right. Yeah. So little snitch. So no, you're right. Yeah. Some apps. Some apps let you hold down the key to move them about in the menu some do not now here's here's a little tangent apple does not like another other, apple does not like oh, other that. uh other things to act like menu items they're fine with the, the way dropbox does it where it's an app and it just sort of launches and appears in in order but uh but they do not like this and and they have been known to change the apis to uh to break that so it, i think what these people are doing is known as Breaking the law. Breaking, breaking the, the law. law. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're so in sync. Uh, All right, what's what's coming up? Uh, let's see. Should we bow out? No, that's it. No, we're not done. We're not done. Uh, we're let's just go started. through. Let's go through Alex. Go, Alex. Oh yeah, that's right. I got to play it. I'm thinking. I'm like, I know, but you have the, the answer, button, John. Man. Why do I have to? Hey guys, uh, this is Alex in Berkeley, California, and I love the show and I'm excited to send this in. Uh, I just traded from a 17-inch dual-core iMac uh, with, to a 13-inch dual-core MacBook. 
uh, because uh, basically I want to get out of the house more and I'm spending a lot of time at my desk. Um, I was a PC convert two years ago when I got the iMac, and this is my first Apple laptop. Um, I love the Apple experience. I'm totally into it. Uh, I'm aware that people like to suss out the fans on the laptops um, and sort of control them, um, and that uh, you got to there's better and worse things to do vis-a-vis battery life. And, uh, you know, I'm trying to look into all that uh, kind of stuff. My question is basically this. What are your top pieces of advice or favorite apps that someone on a MacBook should know or employ the des- that a desktop user might not have top of mind? Uh, rock on and don't get caught. <laughs> Thanks, Alex. All right, John, I, I know you've got, uh, you've got some ideas here. I'm launching. So he was saying... What do I need to know different from a portable from a laptop or a iMac? Sorry. Right. To me, the top of my list would be ventilation. Check your heat. I would do either temperature monitor or thermograph 10. Okay. So definitely on a laptop, you want to keep in touch with that. And and also the fan speed. So iStat, I think, is good for that or iStat Pro. Yep. Is good for the fan speed, Dave. In addition, well, no, I don't think menu meters no, does that. Not, no, they do not. No. Okay. So menu meters is our our favorite, but they do not do fan speeds. Now, in addition, a little tangent, I'm sorry. There's something called SMC fan control. I don't know if I necessarily recommend mucking with the way the Mac operates the fans in response to heat events. Okay. If you want to, go for it. I, I I would say I don't have a problem if you exceed the specs. If you're going to back off, then, well, yeah. Uh, that's yeah. bad. Yeah, okay. right. Other things I would say on a portable is be very aware of your battery behavior and, and what you're doing. So something like battery health monitor um, would be good just to understand how your battery or... Um, uh, there are a couple others. We'll list them. But understanding how what you do affects your battery life, I think that's very important for um, the current crop. Because we, we've even seen today, Dave, where the, there were a number of tweets about battery life and stuff. And the problem is, you know, battery life is is just, it's tough. Yeah. But I think you have to keep in mind what you're running. If you're running a DVD, if you're running a hard drive, if you're running wireless, if you're doing all this stuff, it's going to it's going to reduce your battery. I'm sorry. The the thread I was thinking of was some people online, uh, which we saw today, Dave, were saying seven hour battery life on the latest Macs. And I think that the consensus from We saw a couple of our good friends. I don't want to implicate them, but they were saying, you know, realistically, it may get three hours out of the latest max. Okay. Now, they claim seven-hour battery. Of course, the footnote is under uh, your your mileage may vary. So now I see on my machine, and I think your machine, Dave, I think our machines are similar. I see about two to three hours max. I think I get about three. I I, I don't I don't hmm. think I hit much below three. But yeah. I, so I I'm with you. Yeah. Our, our batteries with the capacity, I think it's fifty five milliamp hours max and yep. stuff. But I would say uh, 
Apple's guidelines with the seven-hour battery with the latest machines should be taken with a grain of salt. And they, they put this grain in their fine print. They're like right. depending on usage and applications. Right. If you're sitting there doing nothing. <laughs> right, right, right. It'll last seven hours. If you're playing back a movie and ripping a DVD and, and you know, doing all sorts of things. So um, that's. Yeah. All right. Cool. My input. All right. I uh, I was going ahead and, and getting a, getting a jump start on the show notes for you while you were listing all those apps. So uh, excellent. Are, but there's a lot of things. That, oh, yeah. and the other. I'm sorry. That's okay. The motion sensor. Okay. <laughs> it's cool. <laughs> but be careful. No, there there's a few apps that show your orientation with a uh, portable. Probably not too important. Just get no, a good probably case. Not. Don't yeah, drop yeah. it. Right. Okay. Right. But Dave, in your experience on a portable. I think you hit it. Um, yeah. I mean, that's it. I, I have nothing to add. You you had all the ones I had, so I was just wow. adding them to the show notes for you. Yeah. No, we're good. Our second, before we get on to uh, the express card stuff, I want to make sure we talk about our second sponsor for the show, which is Barebone Software with BB Edit. Now, we're up to BB Edit 9.2.1, I believe. And there's, uh, there's lots of cool things that BB Edit does. It's been around for a long time. They've built this app up. It is the thing they use to code with over there. So it is built by and for programmers, but they've taken it a step further and really opened it up to anyone wanting to do any sort of text manipulation. If you have some uh, text operations that you need to do regularly, reformatting or um, swap, you know, find and replace that sort of thing, you can create what they call little text factories and apply those to different bits of text. It's even Apple script and automatorable. So you can include those in your automator scripts. If you're someone who's just going to use it for say programming, even HTML, it's great. As soon as it realizes that you're editing an HTML file, it'll start highlighting and color coding all of your code. As you put, uh, let's say, you know, table cells or you define a table. Well, it'll give you a little triangle in the sidebar. And once you've built that table and you're happy with it, you can twist that triangle up and it will fold the code all up. So you don't see the whole contents of the table there in your code anymore. You just get the little table. And you can do that with all of your little opening and closed functions so that you can have a nice, clean looking piece of uh, piece of code on your screen and then twist down just the ones that you want to edit and then twist them all back up. Of course, you can see it all laid out there. You don't have to fold them up if you don't want, but that's how it works. Again, it's Barebones software at barebones.com. It's BB Edit 9. It's 125 bucks to purchase. Uh, it's $30 to upgrade from prior versions and $49 if you're a student. And of course, you can download a free trial all at barebones.com. Now, recently we talked about Expre- the Express Card slot and how it's going away. Um, I'm going mean, to let's just start with Jonathan's comment here. And uh, and uh, maybe we'll even let Chris's no comment. Shake. No, there's no way we'll get to the fish shake. We'll get to that. We'll, we'll, we'll play Jonathan's. We've had a couple of people write in uh, and call in rather with good ideas for how they use this express card. Hey, this is Jonathan. And I was just listening to 
your latest uh, installment. And you mentioned the Express Card 34, and I actually have three different Express Card 34 devices. One uh, that I use all the time is an 8 gig SSD, like the one that you mentioned. Although I got my 8 gig for 10 bucks, I found it on sale somewhere. I thought, shoot. Give me memory, and so uh, I use that to back up my uh, my uh, clients folder uh, on an ad hoc basis. Every day I've got a variety of backups that run automatically, but every once in a while I'll, I'll throw a whole client folder on this uh, eight gig SSD um, uh, Express Card 34 device. I also have a <laughs> I have an SD card reader, uh, and I also have uh, an eSATA. Uh, adapter that fits in the Express Card 34 for externally SATA drives. So um, I've also heard of other people using the uh, the SSD drives uh, in uh, some of these high-end video cameras. Use them, and so they can uh, dump their their uh, video to the MacBook Pro uh, very quickly using one of these cards, whereas it would have, you know, a variety of other ways, USB or whatever, would take a lot longer. So um, that that uh, uh, interface will be missed sorely by a lot of people. And uh, have a good day. Keep up the good work. Bye. Hey guys, great show. Chris here, and uh, I thought I would send this in in defense of my poor Express slot express slot in my MacBook Pro. I have a late 2008, and uh, the express card slot I use constantly for two different things. I, I primarily am a video editor, a, a Final Cut Studio user, and I'll either have one of two things in that slot at all times, and one is either a second FireWire card, because uh, working on a MacBook Pro out in the field, my internal drive isn't big enough or fast enough, really, to capture HD video. So I'll have one FireWire 800 drive plugged in to the built-in port, and then my camera also comes in over FireWire using uh, the Express Card slot, so I have a separate controller in there. Final Cut actually won't let me capture unless it's uh, unless the camera is on a second controller. It says it's not fast enough to run them both off the same bus. Um, and then the other thing, the other thing I often have in my Express Card slot is a device from Matrox that lets me capture video directly in a ProRes format. It's um, it's a very high bandwidth, requires a lot of throughput that only Express Card slot can deliver. It's even too fast for FireWire 800, um, which means in the future, my only choice is the 17-inch, which is kind of a bummer because right now the sweet spot for me in terms of screen real estate while in the field is the 15-inch because it's not too big and it's just the right size. But I know a lot of you out there don't need the Express Card slot, and I understand the SD is very fancy, but uh, no dice for me. All right, guys, guys, great show. Thanks, Chris. And and John, I believe uh, Jonathan and Chris are not alone in uh, in 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 having things to use for their Express Card slot because you've joined those ranks. I have not. <laughs> no, I have. Now, number one, you know, I'm I'm really questioning after we've had multiple listeners tell us, you know, dude, I use this card for this. So, so yep. I think what we're seeing is Apple attempting to create a divide between the 17 inch, right, and the 15 inch and below, and I don't think what they've done is well thought out 
All right. So what? Yes, what? I will suffer. In, in that, I still think the 15 inch is a viable platform for high performance video and other hardware. I don't want a 17 inch. I'm sorry. I've, I've sure. seen it. It's it's a it's a battleship. Yeah, it's too big. I'm sorry. It's yeah. it's a mobile desktop, but it it right. is not a nice machine to travel with. As you know, my 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 love was. The 12-inch PowerBook, I think the 13-inch MacBook Pro is as close as you're going to get to a machine that is comfortable to travel with. So I feel bad for these people. Now, what you, you uh, I mentioned that you joined the ranks of, of oh, I'm sorry. Card so what I so ordered, using- oh, so I ordered. So I was poking around because you challenged me, as you right. did multiple times in the last show. Yes. But we'll get to that. <laughs> you're saying, John, what are you doing with your... You know, express card slot. My answer was truthfully nothing. So between when you, you know, kind of encouraged me to think about this, I went online and I ordered a express card SD card reader. There you go. The intent being, I want to see what it's like, because right now I actually do have. So SD. Now what? um, and, And just ballpark. What did you pay for that? Uh, 30 bucks. There you go. Okay. So cheap. And the card itself was probably 50 bucks or something. So I have a... For an SD card. I have a 16 gig, um, which I originally got for my camera. Right. Right. Exactly. For the camera I have, you need a class... I don't know why they call it class six, I guess, SD card. If you could look it up, it'd be great. But anyways, it was like, where did class six come from? (laughs) Sure. Worth class one through five. But no, it was a high speed SDHC card, which I guess is enhanced the capacity. But that is the card I'm going to put in this HD reader just to see. Great. What can I do? Because we were talking about RAM drives. I think both you and I, Dave, love RAM drives if they fit in and they work seamlessly for the most part with the OS. Right. Otherwise. So I am diving into that. Now we've had some listeners get actual HD and maybe this is jumping ahead and you want to. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah. We, we don't want to go there yet. Um, so, okay. Yeah. So I, I, I had a long conversation this week with Larry O'Connor from smart. uh, He is very smart from Otherworld computing and, uh, he full disclosure, uh, Otherworld or, yeah, other world is a uh, premier sponsor at, at the site. They don't sponsor the podcast, at least not yet. Uh, but but they're a sponsor of, of TMO. No, it, it, I just want to make sure that you know. And and so that was the the reason because that's part of that program. I, I had a, a chat with him this week, but we wound up getting onto a lot of this stuff. And we're definitely going to have him on as a guest of the show. He this guy is smart. I mean, not only has he been in the industry for 21 years, but he he knows what he's doing. He's you know, it's he's not just a guy that runs a company. He he knows exactly uh, how this technology works and really understands it. But he's not marketing. Well, he is. But I mean, you know, he also happens to not just marketing. marketing. Right. So, um, yeah. So he um, he was he was saying, you know, this is interesting and. I don't think the 17 is going to keep that express card slot for very long. I think Apple is phasing it out, you know, they, mm-hmm. and and his philosophy was that, yeah, you know, OK, so what if it's only 10 percent of the users that are using it now down the road? We all have the ability to expand. And as you have pointed out, um, they, you know, for uh, I don't know, whatever it is. 30 bucks, you can get that same functionality that Apple is going to force upon you with the new MacBook Pros, right? Because uh, 
it, because it, it's right there. Or you can expand and you can do ESATA and you can do all this other stuff. And it limits the expansion options of this machine. So I, I've come full circle on this. I don't think uh, getting rid of the express card slot's a good idea because why force people? Why limit expansion? And And of course, there's a good reason to limit expansion. And that is people have to buy a new computer. You know, if if you want to well, add an eSATA interface to your MacBook Pro, you can do that today for, I think, about 100 bucks, maybe even less. If you want to do that with the new MacBook Pros, well, you can't, you know, and if eSATA, if external eSATA drives become the all the rage and replace FireWire and USB 2 because they're way faster. Well, uh, and they start putting them in the new machines. You're you're out of luck. You got to buy a new machine. Can't upgrade. Mm. So it, you know, it really kind of limits that. And it, it's interesting that Apple is willing to turn their back on 10% of their customers. I don't want to turn my back on 10% of mine. Certainly not in this economy, not in any economy. You know, yeah. that's a, that's a sizable percentage of people. It's, it, it's interesting. It's Apple. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. No question. It is, it is Apple. Well, but, they have, we've seen in the past, they said iMac. Right. Who needs floppy? Right. They probably were right, though. Uh, they were not, right about that with, move. Yeah. Not with the mouse. Yeah. That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, I've had some fish shakes with uh, a lot of people lately. Uh, I would say the iMac mouse deserves to be in the user interface hall of shame. I'll, I'll give you that. I don't like it. The hockey, some people do, the though. Hockey, no, the hockey puck. Oh, that the thing. First, oh. oh, that was terrible. No, the first, uh, uh, the first rule is... Round bad. I have no frame of reference. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's a Yeah, that's a good point. That's but moving good point. on. Yeah, moving on. Okay, so I have a kind of a crossover comment that's going to bring us into the, the uh, SSD realm. Uh, I want to make sure I have the right one. Paul writes, as I've been listening, uh, I thought it would be appropriate to bring something up again. Being efficient at using a computer, I was reminded of this uh, when you all did the show on the dock. You talked about how to do some special things with the dock. For me, the dock is really just a way to see what is open. If I want to open an application, I use Spark. And he sent us a link, which is an awesome hotkey manager. I use it so much, I actually got rid of Mail and Safari from my dock. But of course, they do appear once I've launched them. Uh, Spark is a great way to switch between apps without even going to the mouse. So definitely, we'll put that in, in Cool Stuff Found, and we'll put a link out in the show notes for it. Second... I want to thank you for suggesting the SSD. After listening to show 209, I decided to purchase an SSD card for my or an SSD drive for my express card slot and use it as my boot drive. That way I can get great performance on apps and startup as well as get a large hard drive for my files. I don't know if you had thought of it, but it really is a great way to get a boost in speed and not replace the internal hard drive. And he puts a link to a uh, to a, a 48 gig express card drive uh that that he found and i think it was uh, 175 bucks i mean it wasn't totally you know cost prohibitive uh and gave him enough room to put his os and his applications there and then of course his all of his documents his songs his pictures everything else is being stored out there and and you know you do get that huge performance boost uh from from starting up from the uh from the drive 
So, so that brings us into the Ugh. SSD realm. And thank you. We will. We've got links for for all that stuff, and and we'll put it out there in the show notes. So thanks, Paul. That's a that's a good idea. I, now you know. Once I read this today, when I was going through the show, I started thinking. Oh, wait a minute. This is this might be the right move because you've got mm-hmm. some. You know, you got some play here. You, you've got the big drive still. You know, if I if I move. 30 gigs of my OS off to a drive. Well, that, you know, now my 250 in the machine is, mm-hmm. you know, plenty huge. So in- interesting, interesting concept. Thank you, Paul, for for that. Um, so this moves us into the SSD realm. Okay. We have. Yeah. Yeah. For, you know, I was going to say for the last time, but I, I, I don't think so. This no. just in the last week, I've heard from two companies off the record that SSD drives are coming out and another company on the record crucial announced the crucial, the the big memory manufacturer announced that they've got SSD drives that they're going to ship on July 20th, which is a week from today. Not just 64, not just 128, but I think 256. They've got a 256. Yeah. NLC, which took me by surprise. Mm hmm. So, yeah, it you know, this this is happening. It's happening fast. A year from now, I, I think prices, you know, prices right now are they're high, but you have to you can't think of it as just a hard drive replacement. You have to think of it as a speed uh, and in some ways reliability upgrade, especially for a laptop, because you don't have that moving part. So if the machine drops while you're traveling, much less chance of uh, of losing data mm-hmm. because you've damaged the the drive or or what have you. Uh, so, yeah, very interesting. But of course, you know, we did have that uh, that little tiff last week, uh, the on air tiff. Well, when we uh, I, I, well, I had to smack you down. But uh, but well, you had you 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 attempted to do so. <laughs> but it, but it forced some good research. Uh, and and you you discovered something called write amplification. Uh, I don't, yes. I, and I'm not even sure how to translate this from well, geek I'm to try human. To translate so, it. Okay, go ahead. So here here was your challenge. So when we were talking about the performance uh, degradation of SSC drives when they get full, you challenged me uh, when I said that uh, writing the amount of data. Um, equal to the amount of the drive was sufficient to do that. And you challenged me on that. And I, I, I don't blame you. Sure. It sounded Is reasonable. Accurate. Yeah. Okay. Now, uh, based on some of the cursory research I did, because I was digesting, I mean, you saw some of these articles, they were pretty big. Yeah. So the thing was, um, uh, the algorithm, uh, here's one problem. The, from what I understand, from what I read, the size of, an erase block is larger than a write block on these drives. So that introduces complexity in and of itself. Right. If I can only write 4K, but I can only erase 16K, for example, which I think the, the you know, what we linked to, and uh. if we didn't, we will, that introduces a little bit of complexity. When do I actually do an erase? Now, the reason I said that you may not achieve the full capacity of the drive when you're writing repeatedly. Now, uh, one of the things that happens with these drives is is the write amplification, and that the assumption is the amount of data they write out, taking into regard the characteristics of the drive with the write versus erase block size, is that you're going to be... the assumption is the amplification will be greater than one to one in that if I have to rewrite 
4K of data, the drive itself is actually going to be rewriting way more than that. Now, the review I read, the Intel, and I'm going to assume the Runcore and other drives have reduced this. My speculation was, if you have a smart OS and or controller, and, and here was the basis of why I was you know, pushing back on this. Sure. Say I write an, a, a huge monstrous file with all the contents the same as another file I just recently wrote. My assumption would be not a lot has probably changed, in which case, could you get, and based on what I know about designing, you know, disk caches and firmware and stuff, drives are nowhere near this point to be this smart. But that was the spark that led me to push back to Dave. Sure. And that if you have a drive that is smart enough to say, you know, I got a megabyte file or, or, or a file and only a portion of it has changed. Why am I telling a drive to write the whole darn thing over again? Now, again, I don't think any modern OS, unless uh, modern mainstream OS is smart enough to do this, nor do I think a modern mainstream drive is smart enough to do this. But I do know, and I cannot reveal more, that there are devices that do this. Well, that's he, all I can say. Th- that's an interesting point, right? Mm-hmm. Because we've right now it's entirely 100% up to the SSD drive manufacturers to solve this problem, right? I mean, they, and they maybe the OS, maybe, yes. maybe the OS saying, you know, I don't need to write this. Well, drive, but, but, I'm but, not going to tell you to do this because it's, but that's what I'm saying. The, the OS on. hasn't been built to do this yet. Correct. Right. But yes, so it so currently the the only solution rests on the shoulders of the drive manufacturers entirely. And the in cash, perhaps, I think the cash. Yeah. And cash is a whole other weird, wild, wacky world of hardware engineering and some software engineering where, you know, do you write it? Do you? Right. But this stuff could get better. Right. Because let, let's 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 yes. let's think about this for a second. And I know we're we're getting long in the tooth of this show, but it's OK. We're not going to be here next week because I'm on vacation. So we'll, we'll, oh. we'll ramble a little bit here. Go. Yeah. So defragmenting. Right. That's about the worst thing that you oh. could do to an SSD drive. Right. Because oh. If we know that reading from SSD, no problem. You can read all day long. Great. You know, it'll beat a hard drive any day of the week, even with the worst controller uh, on the SSD. Right. I mean, it, in in general. And I know that's a simplification. Yeah. But, but but dude, they're not. But hard let, let me let me get here because this Go. is important. So a defrag, what you're doing is you're taking chunks of data and just moving them around on a SSD drive for no apparent gain, right? Or very little apparent gain. If any, you're just moving data around and writing and rewriting and rewriting constantly, uh, just for the sake of rewriting. And that's very bad, uh, and will cause some problems here. In addition to wearing out the drive, right? Because you have a limited number of write cycles, uh, before an SSD drive starts to go bad or before at least each cell starts to go bad. Now, OS 10 has hot file management, which is its own sort of uh, defragmenting of smaller, regularly used files. But it is doing this uh, in the background. Now, wouldn't it be great? You know, the first step to me is that OS 10 now uh, should be aware that, you know, it's using an SSD drive and just disable 
hot file management, right? I mean, that would be the first step. But even better than that would be to optimize the driver uh, architecture for SSD and say, okay, if I'm using a hard drive, I want to do things this way. If I'm using SSD, well, I want to do it a little bit differently here because it's a completely different medium. You know, treating them the same is not uh, beneficial to either side, right? If you treat a right. hard drive like SSD, you're not going to get pr- full performance. And if you treat SSD well, like a hard drive, you're not. So well, the problem is, I think a hard drive, it, your assumption is sequential data is good and optimization to right. achieve that goal is good, is putting all the blocks right. in order for our physical hard drive with today's technology is a great thing. Right. And, for a SSD is a terrible thing. It's terrible, thing. right? It just couldn't get you're worse. You're doing all this work that is is not necessary. Right, and and detrimental, certainly in the long term and, and perhaps yes. even in the short term. That's right. So, yeah, so this is going to get interesting, and I, I think we're going to see, you know, changes in the next year because it, I think we're, in the next six weeks, we're going to see changes. Uh, you know, it's happening really fast. Uh, we're having a lot of conversations yeah. with, with people who are coming out with these and, and you know, want to advertise them and, and all that stuff. There, there, there's so much heat, and especially because we're in an upgrade market, right? In, in this economy, uh, people aren't buying new computers as easily as they were before. But, you know, so instead of spending, you know, between a thousand and let's say, you know, three thousand on a new computer, if you can spend between, you know, one and five hundred on an upgrade for your existing machine, that's actually going to make a difference. People, you know, much more willing to do that. So that means RAM upgrades and 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 that sort of thing are, uh, you know, very easy. And, and these SSD drives, especially when you, you know, take into account like Paul's idea of doing the, you know, the 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 dual drive system and put an SSD in that express card slot and then, uh, you know, and then and then move on with, you know, your data on the hard drive. That's that's a nice little, you know, for less than 200 bucks. Now you've got most of the speed benefits of an SSD. So I this is this is happening very, very quickly. And I, I think I think we will see app writing systems, probably Apple before anyone else, A, because that seems to be how they do things and B, they are selling machines with SSD drives in them. So, you know, they've got some stake yep. in this game. But uh and, yeah, very and interesting. You know, you know they're first and I've read this from people that were willing to pay the steep premium to have the right. know, uh single cell drives i think they were uh samsung drives right in the first air machines right if you wanted to pay a thousand bucks you were going to get a a good experience but yeah cost you a thousand bucks it cost you a thousand exactly right right yeah no this is this is interesting so i'm i'm tempted because to me 256 is a tipping point because the drive i have in my portable now is I think a three hundred gig? That's expensive, so, man. You're you're gonna pay for a two fifty six SSD. You're I think the price to performance uh, gain yeah. isn't there. You know you're you're gonna pay eight nine hundred bucks for a two fifty six. Okay, then so, I won't. <laughs> yeah, that, right. Exactly. But in a year, in a year, you yeah, exactly. It'll be half that. I'll pay yeah. or less. Yeah. I think that's no, I'm, probably I'm, right. I'm thinking economies of scale because the reliability, the speed. Eh, it's. The, I mean, you're all dealing- the big drive manufacturers, as you've seen, oh, right? Sure. At, at the Pepcom shows. I mean, it, everybody is beating all down this path. Thinking or doing? Yes. Yes. Yeah, and there's still room. I mean, it, it's the, you know the race isn't over yet, 
uh, there, there's still room for people to come out, you know, establish brands and, and people that know what they're doing to come out with the right technology. You don't, they, you know, these companies know they don't need to race, but they need to focus. And uh, it's, it's going to be interesting. So we won't yep. talk about this every show, uh, but I think this is in many ways a game changer. And, and we're at, you know, we're just at that tipping point here where it's going to start, going to start moving. So, and it's right. fun, you know, it's so, exciting. You know, I've just been thinking, Dave. Yeah. I really want to get in touch with me. You do? Or you. You could call your own phone. <laughs> or the show. <laughs> uh, so no, take- if you want to get in touch with the Mac Geek Gab, you know what i do, Dave? What would you do? I would, I would first pick up the phone. Mm-hmm. Well, first, actually, I got a, a, a tip of the hat to our leading edge users. They are sending in comments using the wonderful new iPhone iPod Touch 3.0 hardware software which includes a voice memo app yes yeah that's right and we had uh awesome quality chris's comment tonight was was recorded that way and and we've we've gotten some others it you know it it's so easy because what you do is you go into voice memos you record your your memo it's not being compressed for the phone lines or anything It, it it you know nice high quality and then right from there you can email it to feedback at macgeekgab.com Dave, did you say feedback at MacGeekGab.com? I did. Feedback at MacGeekGab.com. If you don't have the ability to do that or you simply don't want to uh, to mess with the voice memo app, you certainly can call us. It's uh, 206-666-GEEK, which, John, is? I think that's 4335. That's right. You can check out the show notes at MacGeekGab.com, which is also uh, part of MacObserver.com. And you can Skype us your comments to Mac Geek Gab, but that I will tell you is going to give us the worst quality. And the reason is yeah. Skype's link. At, you know, this is important actually to talk Sorry. about. We've been we've been doing um, we've been doing those live shows, and people on the live show through TalkShoe say our quality is terrible. Well, I did some testing. Skype's outbound call quality. So the call quality that you hear when you use uh, Skype out through the phone lines, whatever bridge they're using to link Skype to the plain old telephone network is horrible. It's worse than any other VoIP I've tested anywhere. Yeah. So uh, we're going to find a way. I've I've concocted a way of doing this with with Gizmo so that we'll get a really high quality stream to to talk to and we can start doing that on a more regular basis. So uh, but Skype, because you're calling in and it's then routing it to our, our 206-666-GEEK voicemail, it is the worst quality. So if you have the ability to record your own audio, and as John said, with the voice memos app, that's uh, very easy right now. That's the way to do it. iTunes comments, we love. Blog World Expo is October 15th Whoa. through 17th, uh, and you can get 20% off a ticket and uh, using this special code, you're very important to us. You're very important to them. We are Mac Observer, and the code is Observer VIP, and that'll get you 20% off. iPhone Alley is Michael Johnston's home when he is not converting this show to AAC for your pleasure. <laughs> the podcast marketplace includes the A2 desktop speakers from Audio Engine, BB Edit from Barebones Software, PDF Pen from Smile on My Mac, Notebook from Circus Ponies, and Pathfinder 5 from Cocotech which we will tell you more about in the next show, all through the Backbeat Media Podcast Network. And my throat, after talking all night on Saturday at the oh. reunion, is shot. And uh, I think I've got about uh, maybe three more words left in me, John. You were talking? Were you, were you singing? No. 
No, 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 no. Did not grab a mic. No, no singing. Uh, that was not necessary. No. The only thing I have to assume, since you made it back from your reunion and all the shenanigans, Dave, is that you didn't get caught. <laughs> I did not. <laughs> made up.